2: Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode of the Pre Point Pod. It is a bonus episode that was recorded live at Queensland Ballet's Mind Body Ballet Day. My guests are Tony Lewis, who is a strength and conditioning coach and former principal dancer, and Lou Spichtig, company artist with the Queensland Ballet. And they join me with a live audience to talk about strength and conditioning for classical ballet dancers. I really hope this inspires you to go get them, but don't get them all at once. So, welcome back to the Prepoint Pod. I'm here recording a very special episode this afternoon at Queensland Ballet. Mind Body Ballet Day, and I've got two very special guests with me. I've got Tony Lewis, who is our strength and conditioning coach at Queensland Ballet. Would you like to say hello into the microphone, Tony? Hello. (laughs) Hello. And also, um, Lou Spichtig, who is our company artist with Queensland Ballet. Hi, Hi Lou. (laughs) Um, And today we're going to be talking about strength and conditioning um, in the context of ballet, I'd also like to acknowledge my wonderful Mind Body Ballet guests. Are you ready?
3: Hello, three point one.
2: Excellent. We did rehearse that. <laughs> okay, so I think we should dive in, actually. Um, and so I'm going to ask this question of both of my panellists. So tell the audience a little bit about your journey as a professional dancer and at what point along that journey did you start to implement? Focused strength and conditioning training.
0: Okay, (laughs) I'll go first. Um, So I've um, been a company artist with Queensland Ballet for about five years, um, starting my sixth year in January. Um, And before that, um, I spent seven years at the Dance Academy in Zurich, which is the biggest um, state ballet school in Switzerland. Um, And then I spent two years at the Junior Ballet Company in Zurich before joining the company here. Um, so I've spent quite a bit of time already working. Um, strength and conditioning has kind of always been a part of um, my training. Um, it kind of started with my mum way before I even joined the academy. She's like your typical 90s lady, I mean 80s lady, um, you know, high cut leotards and white runners and aerobics and I don't even know if you guys are even familiar with that. Um, But she always loved to exercise and she'd always be like, hey, Lou, do you want to join in and do some crunches and sit-ups and whatever with me? So it was kind of always there. We were really lucky at school. We had what they call body conditioning. Um, They weren't really um, sure of what they wanted to do. So every year it kind of changed. We did a bit of acrobatics, a bit of strength training, a bit of, you know, like cardio training. But it was always there. So I always knew that was something that I needed to do. And it's always something I enjoyed doing but I only really started properly um, going to the gym and working out once I joined the company. Um, And it's taken me, I'd say, at least five years to figure out what works for me and for my body.
3: So my journey um, after graduating from the Australian Ballet School, I uh, spent a short stint with the Australian Ballet and then went to Europe and um, worked in Germany for a year and then spent two years working in Switzerland so not far away from Lou. Um, and then as while well, I was in Switzerland, I received a phone call offering me a position back here with Queensland Ballet. So a long time ago, in 1993, I started my ten-and-a-half-year journey with uh, Queensland Ballet and retired at the end of 2003 as Principal Artist. So my involvement in strength and conditioning as a dancer... Um, I'd probably always done a little bit because prior to dance, I'd had a fairly extensive sporting background. Uh, I'd started dance at 16 years of age, so fairly late. Um, so it had always, always been there... F- you know, I'd always done a little bit of it here and there. It uh, wasn't until, unfortunately, towards the end of my career, I'd ruptured my ACL so my anterior cruciate ligament. And so that's when it became really quite focused. So I needed to, for me anyway, I needed to understand uh, how I, what I was doing and how I was going to go about getting back to dance. So that's when I became really focused and very much interested in strength and conditioning. And um, so, yeah, went on from there and it's become very much my life now. So... And so how are you involved with strength and conditioning at the moment? So, well, I've been the strength and conditioning coach with the Queensland Ballet Academy and Queensland Ballet for the last seven and a bit years. Um, Something which I very much enjoy. It's, um, It's quite rewarding to be involved in a career that was very good to me and to play a role in assisting the future dancers and and current dancers in um, getting the best out of their bodies, so yeah, it's um, yeah
2: a full circle almost. That's it's very interesting. I think sometimes um, when we're thinking about strength and conditioning, we often put it in the context of rehabilitating an injury, but it is something that dancers and in Tony's case, that was obviously what happened. So he had an ACL injury, which is I'll actually, would you like to explain what, what an ACL is? Does anyone know what an ACL is? No.
3: So it's a ligament in your knee, yeah, that helps maintain the structure of your knee. It kind of holds your knee together.
2: Yeah. Every time you land from a jump, it, it stops your knee from falling apart. So as you can imagine... <laughs> so <laughs> um, I
3: snapped mine, yeah.
2: That would have taken a lot of hard work to rehab, Yep.
3: Yeah, so that was uh, nearly 12 months mm. I spent rehabbing that. So, yeah, with the Broncos.
2: <laughs> with the football <laughs> team in Brisbane. Wow. <laughs> so I think, you know, as I was saying before, like often there's a time in a dancer's life when they might have an injury and they have to rehabilitate it. So that's when they become connected with strength and conditioning. Although it's interesting, Lou, like do you have you had any moments like that where you've had to rehab an injury and use strength and conditioning or how, like what role does it play for you at the moment?
0: Um, Yeah, so I had a pretty severe injury um, when I joined Queensland Ballet. I had a back injury and I thought I'd never dance again. Um, And it took me off stage for uh, like pretty much six months um, with at least three of those really not being able to do anything. And it just taught me that I hadn't been treating my body the way I should Um, you have natural physical limitations and while you always say that we need to push them there is a point where your body just can't go any further and if your body's not meant to do it then you probably shouldn't be doing it um and while it was an awful time and I actually hate talking about it I always try to avoid it um the one thing I did learn from it was how to work with my body um and how to work with it safely um and it took me a very long time and um I had to not only learn how to work with it safely but also learn how to build my body in a way that it still worked for ballet. So there's certain strength and conditioning that may work for someone who's doing a certain type of sport or just a normal person, in quotes, Um, but you just can't look or be that way as a dancer and it took me quite a long time to figure out what I needed.
2: That's really insightful. And so when you're saying it's really difficult for ballet dancers to incorporate strength and conditioning because it's hard to know what exactly to do to still look the part, I guess. Um, how have you married those two things together? So how do you overcome those challenges of integrating s and Because ballet dancers have really busy schedules. Yep. Um, so I think a lot of it's trial and error. And unfortunately with strength and
0: conditioning, you kind of only see it afterwards. So you can do some form of training, whether that's going for like, a really hard run or, um, doing a really long Pilates session and you'll only feel it the next day. I'm sure all of you have been sore before and you go, Oh, whoops, probably shouldn't have done that. Um, and you know, to a certain degree you recover from it. But for me, I, for a certain amount of time, I kept doing something that wasn't quite right for me. I did a lot of, um, weight training when I probably didn't need to, and my body just didn't respond very well to it. And it wasn't working for me in the studio it wasn't working for me in the way I looked Um, I'm quite small and I had a lot of muscle and it just didn't look quite right Um, and it takes a very long time to make those changes sort of I wouldn't say go backwards but sort of readapt the shape that your body has and also how it um, lets you move so if you have this massive amount of like stiff muscle it's really hard to do what we do because you have to be able to lift your legs you have to be able to bend backwards especially as a girl um so for me it was trying to figure out what kind of exercises worked for me um you know it's great that I could lift my little brother above my head but I really didn't need that for the for the ballet studio um and it was about learning what works for me and what doesn't um and also learning how to work it into our schedule so if you have a really long day ahead you can't do a massive amount of training before because you can be absolutely exhausted. So we work 10 to 6 most days. And as a quarter ballet dancer, you're usually in every rehearsal. Um, so it was figuring out what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And that's so individual. So what I do in the mornings might not suit any of the other dancers.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. And also, yeah, different body types will respond really differently to different sorts of exercise. Yeah. And so Tony... Your capacity is now more training the dancers um, that are um, performing in the company. So how how do you decide what to prescribe them? Where's it because I know there's an element of science to that as well. Um.
3: Yeah, well, Lou's exactly right. It, it is a matter of tri- trial and error. You've you've got to find what works uh, works for each individual dancer. Um, you know, it, it's. It's hard because I, I do a lot of planning. There's quite often I'll, I'll, beginning of each year I sit down, I look at the, um, the schedule, and from there I look at pretty much what the ballets will be and what's expected of the dancers during that time. Um, but then also knowing who, who I'm going to be working with is then will determine what I give them to do. Um, so, like an e- example, it's probably a few years ago when the company did La Bayadere what was really important with the girls doing so many ponches was their hamstring strength. So that became the focus of what we did leading up to Bayadere. Um, and pr- the big thing is, is getting it right when they go into the theatre. I think production week, particularly for, for the company, is huge. You know, the hours have changed. They've gone from starting earlier in the day to possibly starting later, finishing much later. Um And there's times where you're not necessarily dancing all the time but you're still there and that that in itself is fatiguing. So probably what I then look at when I work with the dancers is doing what I, I refer to as more micro doses. So where we'll just focus on one or two key exercises and the session may only be really only about 15 minutes of work, 20 minutes of work at the most, done, you know.
2: So 15 and 20 minutes is not a long period of time. Lou, would you say that you also take a similar approach when, so say if you come to the gym and you've got one or two things that you focus on or do you have a program that you'll do for a set number of weeks or, Mm. yeah... Um, So for me, it always varies
0: depending on what we're rehearsing at the moment. Um, So for example, Dracula is not a very exhausting ballet um, for the corps de ballet, which means that I need to keep my stamina up and I need to keep my strength up. So I spend a lot more hours training outside of the studio. So obviously the most important thing is still class and rehearsals. That's when I need to be fit and that's when I need to be switched on. But I spend a lot more time outside of the studio doing things like running, swimming, Um, I don't do a lot of weight training anymore because it doesn't work very well for my body so I do a lot of cardio workouts um, or I use very light weights um, or I'll do exercises that are a little bit more sort of Pilates based if that's something that you do you'll know what those exercises kind of look like just things that'll keep my body in check for dancing Um, however when we go into for example a season like Sleeping Beauty where I was learning seven different roles and I was in rehearsals all day every day non-stop um, I a needed to focus on recovery more than anything else um so making sure that I was getting enough sleep um, making sure that I was taking care of my muscles in the evening when I got home um, and that also meant that my training outside of dance was reduced to an absolute minimum so I've got um, my little routine that I do my specific exercises that I need to get my body warm and I've I wouldn't say i have perfected them but I have sort of figured out what I need to have done before class to do a good class I'm not one of those dancers who just walks in sits in the splits and can start working it just that doesn't work for me and I don't know if it works for anyone really Um, but if we're in shows um, we get home really late by the time we've taken our makeup off had a shower had some food sort of managed to wind down from a show it's usually past midnight um, and for me then the most important thing is sleep so I sleep for as long as I can and then in the morning, I do, again, just those little couple of exercises. I guess a little bit similar to what you would do when you're training that, uh, any of the dancers. So that I know I'm warm, I'm ready, and my body's ready to go. But I'm not building anything in that time.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So there are times when you can when when you can build and actually focus on building strength or working on stuff and then there's there's times where you actually have to just go mm, making progress right now with a certain thing is is not going to be feasible because you can only work your body so hard. So, yeah. Really what we're talking about is periodization. So, making sure that you're Working hard when you need to work hard, but also giving your body enough time to recover and also slowly building up to what you need to do. So that, I mean, that's been a really useful sort of perspective from a female dancer's perspective. Yeah, it's good. I think (laughs) Lou laughed then, but her advice is good. (laughs) Um, And I think it's really, you know, Sleeping Beauty is a very famous ballet and Lou was literally, how many fairies did you learn? Um, I only learned two fairies or there's,
0: there is kind of only four and one sort of lead fairy. Mm. Um, And it was really complicated because they all do the same steps, but on different sides of the stage. Um, But then there were a heap of other roles. So basically every night I went on stage, I quite literally did a different spot every night. Mm. So um, you need to factor in how also mentally fatigued you are, because that also has an impact on your body. If your mind's really tired, you're more prone to injuries. You're not going to recover as quickly. Um, And that's something that's really important um, to also keep in mind when you're training outside of ballet.
2: Oh, yeah. And so from, from a male's perspective, Tony, how would period, what would periodisation look for you if you were preparing um, like one of our soloists or principal men for a role in Sleeping Beauty, for example, yeah. given that we're talking about Sleeping Beauty?
3: I, I sp- probably the main thing is that it's got to – I always refer to it, as a, is it being fluid – um, so you can, I can be working with Joel or someone you know, and they just come in one day and just go, look, I had a massive day yesterday and you know, they're just tired. So the session takes on a very different aspect. So there's, at times it can be, you know, I may have this awesome session planned and that just becomes, you know what, let's just get you moving. Um, lengthening everything out, a li- bit more of a recovery session than anything um but then other times they come in and they they feel like no i need to push and so yeah there has it has to be fluid um even though like i was saying before i'll have this plan mapped out but that plan quite often goes out the window (laughs) and uh and probably the one thing i've learned um is not to plan too far ahead with, with my periodisation, so a, as i was saying, you know, I, I may be looking at like the company doing Dracula, so I was my I was already looking at what there be re- what the requirements were, almost three months ago I was starting to plan that, you know. Um, now wor- working with that and the types of lifts that they do, you know, that's that's the sort of thing I, I was aiming towards. But as I said, you know, as their workload increases with it. Uh, dancers come in they're fatigued you know we can't always do exactly what what was on the plan so it's great to have that periodized approach but you also have to be prepared to um to make changes to suit the individual
2: so that might look really different if um if we're thinking about you know, uh, signing up to like an F45 training program or something. It just might not always work for a professional dancer or Mm. someone who's dancing full-time, for example. Um, Yeah, it's got to be quite individualised. That's sort of the take-home message that we're getting now. Um, My next question is what would you like to see happen in the future – four dancers in the realm of strength and conditioning. If you could rub a magic lamp and a genie could pop out and they could grant three wishes, what would they be? So,
3: Tony. Wow. Um, (laughs) There's so many things (laughs) I'd like to see. Only three. (laughs) I think education around strength and conditioning. Pardon me. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions uh, are around it, and particularly when it comes to females training in, in this realm. Um, you know, there's always that worry that they're going to bulk up. And in some cases, you know, a person's body type, that's what can happen. Uh, on the times, a little bit of the thinking, that can maybe come down to also how a programs has been designed. Sometimes it, it, it can come down to s- selection of exercises, uh, the amount of reps, amount of sets, all that sort of stuff can ha- have an effect on muscle growth. Uh, with dancers, I, I guess my focus really is, is on strength and power. So I'm not worried about building muscle as such. It's just making muscle strong. Um, so I think you yeah, have very much the education around, around it and, and its benefits. I think uh, a lot of people get concerned that by doing strength training you'll stiffen up. I don't know if any of you have seen Olympic weightlifting. I'm sure most of you probably have. These people are amazingly mobile. You know the position they can get their bodies into underneath a heavy weight. They can throw incredible weight over their head, and uh, and have incredible mobility in doing that. So.
2: So, I think that's... Is that two wishes? Were you counting Tony's strength and conditioning wishes? (laughs) You've got one more wish, Tony.
3: One more wish. (laughs) Um, I guess I'd like to see... And this probably goes right across the world with all ballet companies, is um, creating baselines for each dancer. So, for when they join. So, we actually get to know... Uh, what their capabilities are when they first come into the company, and each year retest that, so that then when they are injured, we're able to go, okay, we can test do those, that same battery of tests again, and go, okay, well we know you've lost jump height, so what do we need to do to get you get you back to being able to jumping where you were before, and I don't know if that really exists in too many companies around the world. That's probably something which I'd like to see, most definitely in, introduced.
2: I think it does exist but I think it's not set in stone. There's not sort of a set measures that they would be taking and I I have to agree with you. That's a really good wish. Mm. Lou, what are your three wishes?
0: Um, So, I would love to see strength and conditioning training to be a part of education from the day you start ballet until the day you retire really. Um, And there's this sort of preconceived idea that Strength and conditioning automatically means going into the gym and throwing heavy weights around and that's absolutely not what it is. Um, It's such a broad term and strength can be as simple as doing calf rises at the bar and conditioning can be as simple as skipping um, for 10 minutes. I probably wouldn't skip for that long but anyways, five minutes maybe. Um, But it's such a broad realm and it can start from a really young age and I... I think I would be so much more of a better dancer if I'd started having a proper set program um, at a very young age Um, and I think I would have navigated a lot of injuries very differently um, and a lot of um, the way I use my body would have been a lot more efficient. Um, I think that I would love to see... um, Teachers and schools recognize, and companies also, that everybody's body is different, and there are some bodies that are naturally made to dance, and others maybe not so much. But that's the same across every sport, and that's completely fine. The body you have is the body you've got to work with, um, and I would love to see dancers across the world, um, across all ages, have that support. And unfortunately, there's just not enough people who are educated enough in that, um, and there's not enough time being given to it. Um, And I I would just like to see it be normalised as just part of something that we do for our work. Like we sew our point shoes, we make sure that we know how to do our hair and makeup. So I don't know what you want to call it, maybe not strength and conditioning because obviously some people don't like that, but what they want to call it cross-training, preparation, whatever, even recovery, um, that that's just a normal part of your day of work and your studies um, and not this big
2: extra thing that some people
0: choose to commit to and others don't.
3: Mm,
2: Yes, lots of (laughs) nods. There's lots of (laughs) nods happening. Okay, so I think we have a little bit of time to throw some questions to the audience. So welcoming any questions about strength and conditioning for dancers or just any questions for these highly experienced dancers sitting here. Does anyone have a brave voice? What was your name again? Piper. Okay, so Piper, what's your question?
0: Have ever been in a QPAC ballet? Um, okay, Lou. I'll answer that one. So um, QPAC is um, where we perform um, most of our seasons actually unless we're taking them on tour. So for the last five years, I would have been in every single show that you've seen at QPAC probably. Unless it's my night off, but
2: that hardly ever happens when you're in the core. So that's a big yes from Lou. Yep. Yes to lots of QPAC ballets. How exciting. Tony.
3: You wouldn't have seen me perform at QPAC, (laughs) but uh, yes, I performed there over ten and a half years. We performed primarily there. Uh, Also, there used to be a theatre in Brisbane called the Suncorp Theatre, which I don't, I'm not sure if that exists anymore. But um, yeah, but QPAC, yeah, definitely performed there.
2: Okay, next question. What was your name again? Piper. Two pipers. It's not the same Piper for everyone listening at home. It's a different Piper.
0: What – how much days do you practice for your concerts a week? Um, so, I'm guessing that's before we go in and perform shows. Um, so, it kind of depends. Um, usually, I'm get, I'd say roughly somewhere between six to eight weeks. I don't check our calendars. Maybe Tony would actually know better. <laughs> um but that's usually what we get. Sometimes it's a little bit shorter. Some shows like The Nutcracker, most of the company already knows it. So sometimes we'll only have, I think this year we might only have two weeks to put it together, um, which can be very overwhelming if maybe you're someone learning a new role. Um, I know the year I joined and Ballet, I, the company had a week and a half, I think, before they took The Nutcracker on tour and I was brand new to the company and I had so many different roles to learn and I was absolutely shell-shocked. Um, but yeah, usually, yeah, six to eight
2: weeks. All right, let's go. What was your name?
0: Elizabeth. Um, what would be an example of stre- strength and conditioning for our age? Great question. Um, would you like to take that one? Tony
2: Tony's will answer that one. So Tony works with our academy as
3: well. So. so your ages, I like to keep it really, really simple. Yeah. So nothing too complicated. So just working on, on basic form. So in basic movement patterns. Uh, the big thing is m- making sure it's still fun for you at this stage. Yeah, so it's not too serious what we what we would do. So with some of the things that I may do with the, you know, I mainly work with young boys at the academy, and so we'll do different things where we work on uh, their, their squats. Uh, but, but when I talk about the them doing a squat. It's not like with a barbell and all that type of thing. It's just basically teaching them how to activate the right muscles. And, and those muscles, even though they may be standing in parallel, are the same muscles that they will also use when they do a plie. So it's helping prepare them f- for that. And then we do different things where, you know, we'll do crawling, all that, which is really good co- for coordination. So we'll do lots of different things. So the main, the main focus is fun. Really?
2: Do you have competitions in your strength and conditioning classes, Tony?
3: Sometimes, yes. (laughs) Excellent.
2: There are a couple of other hands. Yes, I've got a hand here. What was your name, sir?
3: Andy. um, Along the same lines, strength and conditioning, how many times a week would you roughly do that sort of training? So, um, with the academy at the moment, I'm I'm only working with them once a week. I... Probably try and get the dancers to do another session on their own. Um, as they get more experienced and in their practice, then we'll look at them where they m- may be doing three sessions a week. But th- those aren't always the same session. So example might be that, say, on a Monday, that might be a real strength session for, for mainly the, the males. Um, and also the females will focus on the strength. Then their other session, depending on what their goals are and if there's been an instruction that they may want uh, a dancer to increase muscle size, then that's it, that midweek session will have a lot more volume. So by that, I mean there'll be a lot more reps and sets within that workout. Uh, and then what we'll look at, especially if they're coming into a season, is that then the, the next session would be maybe on a Friday and that'll be a short, sharp session, which is focused more on power. Yeah? So very much just get it really quick. So that's doing lifts, on if you know, power cleans and different things like that. So it's really short and sharp. Um, but again, as we were saying earlier, it really depends on the individual, depends on what their workload is. Um, and so sometimes that may be the goal but the reality of it might be that we they only do the one session. So it depends on what's happening really for the, the individual. Okay.
2: Any other hands? I can see one down the front. What was your name again? Penny. Um, how long have you been dancing for?
0: Um, so I started ballet when I was about three and a half, four. Um, I then started to Go to ballet classes more and more often. I started off once a week. I think by the age of seven, I was probably doing ballet almost every day after school. Um, and at the age of 10, I joined the Dance Academy in Zurich, um, which is like Queens of Ballet Academy. Um, and I started training every day. Um, from the age of 13 onwards, um, ballet became my full time studies, I guess. Well, we went to school in the mornings very early and late in the evenings. I don't know how many years that's been. I'm not going <laughs> to count. It's been a while.
2: Tony, how many years have you been dancing?
3: I, I started late, so I was 16. Now I, I, <laughs> I was 16 and I retired when I was 35 and a half, so I'll let everyone else do the maths on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and We've got somebody counting on their fingers and toes. <laughs> Does anybody have any other questions? Yes, I'll go. I'll go one more. I think so. Ready for a hands up race? Hands down. Ready and race. Oh, come on. That it's is. like scissors, paper, rock. But you know. <laughs> ready and go. Ah, so this is like a strength and it's like a strength and power test. How how powerfully can you raise your hand? What was your name,
0: Sophie? Um, what was the first dance school you started at?
2: Mm, first ballet school.
3: I grew up in a small town in North Queensland called Eyre. So, uh, and the ballet school there was called the Bertikin Academy of Dance, which was really quite interesting because when you just took the first letters, it said bad. And so <laughs> um, thankfully it wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I grew up in Switzerland, so obviously the name is in German, which would make a lot of sense to you if I just... Um, read it out to you Um, but basically it was like a children's dance and music theatre and it was just fun because we put on like one big production a year um, but really where I got my formal training was Dance Academy Zurich
2: and I have one last question because the podcast that we're recording for today is the pre-point pod and I always ask my guests what kind of point shoes they prefer to wear so Lou what are your preferred pair of point shoes and have they always been your preferred preferred because I think that might be yeah <laughs>
0: all right so I'm so we have two ladies who work with us in the company who take care of our shoes and I'm their worst nightmare um I joined the company wearing freed studios professional so maybe you know those shoes uh, maybe yeah they're just like a stock standard normal shoe and I love them um, then I moved to Australia and before we worked in this building, we were working at the Thomas Dixon Centre, and two of the studios didn't have air conditioning. So you can imagine what that does to shoes in the Queensland heat. They just melt. Um, and they're like, Lou, you can't keep wearing these shoes here. They're too expensive to ship over, the time the wait times are too long, you're gonna need to wear block. I've gone through every single one of their stock standard shoes and haven't liked a single one. And we get trial, like um, sorry, custom-made shoes that we receive trials and the trials are numbered. Um, I'm on pair number 23 and I'm currently not even wearing my own shoes I'm wearing somebody else's custom-made shoes at the moment so
2: so you're still on the search for your perfect pair of point shoes I
0: absolutely am oh hopefully we'll get there soon (laughs) I always joke that I'll get the perfect trial shoe whenever I retire they'll come the week I retire which
3: is hopefully far off
2: (laughs) that may be many more pairs of shoes to try Tony point shoes
3: uh, I have worn a pair, so it was um, we were rehearsing for *Roland Midsummer Night's Dream*, so in which I preferred to call them bricks, not blocks, was the shoes. So that's about how they felt on my feet. Thankfully, just because of the way casting turned out, I never, ha- I never had to wear them on stage. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I ended up doing Oberon every night and I was much more comfortable with doing that rather than uh, the role that I was also Which role to. was on point in Midsummer Night's Dream so for the male? So, it was for in the mechanicals. So, um, I can't remember. So, there's a character that danced the role of Fisbee in the play for, for Midsummer Night's Dream. So, yeah, they had put her on point or him on p- point, Yeah. <laughs>
2: There you go. So, yeah, often male professional dancers will get to trial point shoes um, without um, as much of the intense training that females get. <laughs> they get thrown in the deep end. Well, look, thank you very much to Tony and Lou and also to the wonderful guests that are sitting here this afternoon for listening in. Thank you very much. Everyone, round of applause for our
1: guests.